This episode is sponsored by the IoT job site, the world's only dedicated space for applying for and advertising IoT vacancies across the world. Register now for job alerts or get in touch via let's talk at the IoTjobsite.com. Welcome back to the IoT Podcast Show. As always, I'm your host, Tom White. Today, we are joined by Oliver Tucker. Guys, before we get into it, quick one. Could you do me a favor? Could you like, comment, and subscribe to this video? My team uses this information so we can give you more of what you love in the future. Oliver is the CEO and co-founder of Wireless Logic. Wireless Logic is a leading IoT and M2M connectivity platform provider with over 8 million subscribers globally. Oliver, welcome to the IoT podcast show. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Wireless Logic is a company that I know and heard of for quite a while now. Um, so great to have you here and to talk about the business. Uh, as usual, can we just kick off by explaining a little bit about your background and what inspired you to start Wireless Logic? Because I think it's nearly 20 years since you've been incorporated now. Yeah, 20, actually nearly 22 years, to be honest. Um, wow, okay. I do remember, actually, a, um, I was recently quoted in some uh, press article, um, and they, when they quoted me, said that Oliver, who still remains CEO after 22 years, I'm not sure if that was a comment on my capability uh, or that I've survived three rounds of private equity. But uh, yes, it is indeed uh, 22 years. Um, I guess, you know, I mean, I've always been in the IT industry um, since leaving university many moons ago now. Um, and I guess more specifically, I've always been involved, if you like, in terms of mobile devices, PDA type devices. Um, and again, specifically in terms of mobile data. Um, I think it was <clears throat> probably like a lot of other people, the dot-com boom, if you like, of 2000, uh, where everyone seemed to be sort of wanting to start their own business. Um, you know, as a result of the explosion in terms of the internet. Uh, and me and my co-founder, Philip Cole, uh, at the time who we were working at another organization, we thought actually, you know, mobile data, uh, mobilizing backend applications on PDA um, devices from enterprises. This was before, don't forget, things like RIM and BlackBerry, you know, was mm. probably the future. Uh, wasn't M2M at those mm. days, but... You know, it was mobilizing backend applications. So, yeah, we set it up in 2000. Probably our timing wasn't the best because obviously there was the dot-com bust of 2000 uh, post the uh, um, millennial uh, bug that was constantly talked about throughout 1999. Um, and I think, you know, we were relatively late developers. So we originally sold the company back in... Uh, I guess it was 2003 to a UK sort of telecoms group uh, who had a voice, voice, you know, service provider and wanted the sort of IT and data expertise uh, as data was, you know, coming to the fore in those days. Um, and so, yeah, we, we were acquired by that organization and sat alongside them, um, you know, I guess for the next sort of seven, eight years. Um, and we tried to buy it back multiple times, but, you know, in 2011, we were successful. And I guess that was our first um, private equity investment. Um, and I think since then, um, you know, we've obviously expanded considerably. Uh, primarily, I guess, internationally. Uh, we were very much, well, we were UK based and focused uh, in 2011. Uh, and over the next three years, we expanded organically into France, Germany, and Spain. Anyone who tells you it's easy, uh, doesn't cost twice as much, takes three times as long is, is probably lying. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard yards. Um, but, you know, in 2013, we reached about a million subscribers under management. Um, and today we have, what, over eight, eight and a half million IoT wow. uh, subscriptions globally. And... You know, whilst we did the original international expansion in 2011 to 2015, you know, through our own efforts, we then kind of in 2015 with our second private equity investment, we kind of thought, OK, how do we do this quicker, faster? Um, you know, so we looked in terms of um, expanding uh, through acquisition. 
Uh, and over the last five years now, we've done what, 12 acquisitions, um, which wow. has given us sort of additional geographic coverage, um, you know, as well as technological advantage, which, you know, as I say, are probably our two main key metrics. Getting good people is also another metric uh, when we evaluate a potential target. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of been some of the um, evolution, if you like, of wireless logic. I mean, I think obviously, you know, our product also, um, in particular, our platform has evolved considerably over the last 14 years. And it really wasn't until sort of 2006, 2007 that we kind of realized that what we were doing in the enterprise space, we could kind of use uh, in the M2M space. And actually, it was my business partner, Phil, who kind of came across that market and said, look, this is going to be huge. We should really be focusing uh, in terms of machine to machine uh, data and security and those type of things. And as I say, that's 14 years ago when we really got involved in the IoT space. You know, and our proposition, you know, then as it is now is based really on a whole range of different services that deliver, I guess, you know, what we believe is an unparalleled sort of level of control and security for IoT uh, applications. You know, we work, we're very much a horizontal provider. We work across all market segments, uh, delivering, you know, cellular IoT managed services, you know, both in the aftermarket, which is really, you know, for the last 14 years where the market has been, but now increasingly in terms of embedded solutions. So more looking at sort of OEMs and big, big enterprise who want to deploy assets uh, around the globe. And as I say, you know, we're a horizontal player, which I believe de-risks our business. We have about two and a half thousand solution providers across all vertical markets. Um, so, you know, alongside, if you like, our multi-industry sector expertise, um, you know, you combine that, as I say, with our high level of service, you know, our core strength, I think, is our ability to overlay our private secure infrastructure across, you know, pretty much most of the global, you know, mobile network operators. Um, and this, of course, keeps our customers' data and indeed their reputations, you know, secure. So, yeah, sure. Look, you know, our mission is to simplify, it's to orchestrate IoT connectivity for customers uh, through our end-to-end -end, uh, managed services. And, you know, this does, you know, it, it requires a consultative type approach, you know, from advising customers on optimizing LP1, you know, power consumption and device certification, you know, to orchestrating complex eSIM ecosystems and, and partnerships. Because, you know, despite what people think, you know, it's pretty complicated stuff. And I think, you know, you asked me what inspired me. I mean, I think that, you know, what continues um, to excite me about our industry, you know, after all this time is that, you know, I fundamentally believe that, you know, we are about accelerating the pace of, you know, positive environmental, social and, and you know, economic change. And to play a small part in that is, is you know, pretty awesome. Thank you. What what a what a great introduction to the show. Absolutely. And and you know to take take to take the last thing that you said. You know we're big on sustainability on 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 driving. Uh, I don't want to say tech for good, but it is tech for good. It, it just feels like a phrase that's overused, right, in the industry. But at the heart of what everyone is doing, it's enriching people's lives um, in some form or another, and that's got to be a great thing. And I and I've said this in the past in other. Um, podcasts that, that, that I've uh, that I've hosted you know that my, I've come from an entertainment background right so I did a lot of work in the set-top box industry and you know, the phrase was always it's just tv right yeah. you know no matter how deep you kind of get it, it's as much as you can go with that but this is almost limitless in terms of capabilities yeah. um which leads me on really nicely to to the next question I wanted to ask you um clearly IoT is is expanding constantly you know whether you know, we have as many connected devices as as one thought we might have at this point is another question. But it's it's going a lot more complex as we go global. What you know, what are the biggest challenges when it comes to IoT deployment in your view? Um, I think you're right. I mean, I think IoT is evolving all the time, um, and with technology and industry regulations, you know, they're being regularly updated. You know, we see you know constant challenges. I mean, 
having said that, I'd also see, you know, there are not many industries that are growing at sort of mid-teens growth. So, you know, against those challenges, there are, you know, so many different opportunities. But, you know, I think some of the sort of current challenges, you know, that we see at the moment, obviously, is, um, you know, GPRS sunsetting. Um, you know, we've seen that happen in the States, it, you know, with some networks, I think it was AT&T, it happened pretty quickly. So, you know, providers like ourselves didn't have a huge amount of time to be able to sort of get their customers swapped out in terms of SIMs and stuff like that. I think it's easier in Europe because, you know, um, the the runway to be able to swap out those type of legacy um, subscribers um, is a lot longer. So, you know, mm. some of the assets anyway will be end of line uh, and therefore to, to swap to new newer different technology is is easier but i think you know still network sunsetting is a challenge um we're seeing more recently now in terms of permanent roaming restrictions where you know networks you know if you're cyber squatting uh on a network particularly if you're doing quite a lot of data you know they'll kind of kick you off um so mm. i think you know permanent roaming restrictions are a challenge uh and mm. i think you know we're seeing you know, LP WAN, 5G rollouts, which, you know, again, challenges, but but also um, opportunities. And I think, yeah. you know, yeah. due to this complexity, you could argue, you know, shifting landscapes. I think, you know, customers increasingly are looking, if you like, for partners who can help them, you know, automate, aggregate, if you like, their, their connectivity solutions. Um, you know, and that... As I say, I don't think this is this is easy. I think people do think, you know, some of this stuff is relatively easy. It's, you know, but it isn't. It's complicated. You know, what bearer service do you want to use? Is it cellular? Is it, you know, um, satellite, LP WAN? You know, what is it? You know, where are your assets going to end up? What geographies are they going to end up in? And therefore, what kind of coverage do you need? You know, where will they land? Well, where potentially could that asset transit through? Um, you know, the other kind of thing is, you know, how much data is going to be transmitted? very different if you're transmitting kilobytes of data to if you like terabytes of data which security cameras can do as an example um so ultimately i think that you know people like wireless logic you know our experience lets if you like our customers focus on their own service delivery um you know where they have their own expertise um and i think you know in particular, what we see uh, from customers at the moment, you know, customer requirements is very much, you know, they want increased control and visibility. They need resilience. They want redundancy. And, you know, we'll probably come on to this later, I'm sure. Um, you know, they want the security. You know, there have been a lot of scare stories about security out there. So security is paramount for a lot of our customers. And, you know, they want a, they, they want a provider who can offer you know, multiple different services, you know, whether that's eSIM, whether that's remote uh, SIM provisioning platforms and device management and certification. They want a partner who can, you know, maximize coverage, you know, potentially across the globe. Um, and of course, you know, a lot of this stuff, IoT data that's being transmitted, it's not nice to have data like your Facebook or your LinkedIn or whatever on your iPhone. This is mission critical data. And therefore, you know, for mission critical data, these are business critical applications. And therefore, things like 24-7 support when something can't connect is vitally, vitally important. And I think a partner who can simplify sourcing, you know, management, support of connectivity solutions, you know, as, as well as potentially provide, you know, end-to-end -end or, or device cloud integration, is becoming more of a requirement from our customers. Um, and, and I think that when it comes to technology, there is often you know, the challenge of customers understanding you know, what it means for them and what, importantly, what can it do for them? You know, if we take eSIM, for example, you know, it's kind of everyone's talking about this at the moment. And as we all know, you know, traditional SIM cards can often restrict opportunities for our, you know, IoT connectivity and flexibility, you know, particularly, particularly for large scale deployment. So, you know, in reality, you know, network swaps, you know, are either operationally impossible or prohibitively expensive. I mean, it just doesn't make sense mm. to send an engineer out to a remote site to be able to swap out a SIM card. I mean, it just it just makes no sense whatsoever. 
And I think, you know, this is especially true for globally distributed IoT devices, or if you like those devices that I've just kind of alluded to that are difficult uh, to access in the field. Um, and I think, you know, you take eSIM as an example when we talk about challenges in, in, in terms of, you know, what technology kind of addresses is that, you know, flexibility across the lifetime of an IoT deployment, you know, to mitigate regulatory, commercial, operational challenges. You know, that's a real, you know, core customer need. The need to kind of minimize the number of SKUs in the manufacturing process for global deployments, you know, so a single SIM that can be programmed to work basically virtually anywhere in the world. And I think you add to that the sort of pressure from product designers to minimize the space that the SIM takes up, you know, on the PCB of a device, for instance, and of course, the improved reliability and security that, that, that a chip SIM provides. And I think, you know, what people don't realize, and we've seen this a lot over the last 18 months, is that people just think, you know, you can get, you know, an eSIM and, and you can just swap willy-nilly, right? You can, oh, I can get better commercials of, of this, you know, provider. I'll just swap. It just, it ain't going to happen. The networks will not allow that to happen. And I think, you know, what people don't realize is that, you know, how eSIM profile swapping is not as simple as, you know, flipping a switch. Um, you need agreements across the chain, you know, that complex API integrations that you have to do. And don't forget, you know, what people also forget, you know, there are going to be additional costs to swap profiles, you know. And, and not only that, but they're going to be additional costs such as the SIM itself, you know, fees for the management for the network swapping that that customers will need to factor in. Um, and that, of course, could make adoption uneconomical, if you like, for smaller deployments. So I think, you know, those are some of the sort of challenges that we're seeing in that. I mean, I think, you know, just, you know, while I'm talking about that, I think another challenge is data security. You know, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, data security has always been a concern for the industry, you know, because there have been so many scare stories out there about, you know, baby monitors being hacked or, or, or whatever it is. And therefore, I think the need to build in security as part of a product design, you know, not retrofitting uh, it, which we've done in the aftermarket. You know, I think, you know, doing it as part of a product design is going to be even more important for OEMs. But, you know, Against that, the good news is, is that, you know, security standards are now being put in place, you know, things like secure by design, you know, which has been defined by the government, you know, for consumer sort of IoT manufacturers. And that, you know, when you consider that the majority of data breaches come from, if you like, human error or inappropriate processes, you know, we also now start to hear from customers that ISO accreditation you know, is now a prerequisite, regardless of what, you know, your product set or your product offering is. So, yes, I mean, I do think, you know, complexity and size of deployments, you know, does create challenges for sure, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on some really interesting things there uh, and, and things I want to explore a little bit further, you know, so uh the the e the eSIM topic. So yes, this is big at the moment. And we had we had Nick Earl from, from SI on recently talking about their work involved with, with eSIMs. Um it, it you know it, it isn't just as simple as being able to switch, is it? And I think a lot of people have said that because you've removed that ne the necessity for a physical sim, etc. It doesn't necessarily mean the legislation or the APIs are changed, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um so the the barriers kind of remain even though the potential was there, yeah, um, and 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 that's some and that's something to consider. The, the and, and on the, the the on the security side as well. Really interesting you should mention about the government because there is a there is a white paper, isn't there, on IoT security? In fact, I've seen it um, because we're members of the IoT Security Foundation, and it's uh, and it's and it's nice to see that, and it's nice to see some of the advancements that are taking place. So certainly on the secure side. So I think there are issues and hurdles and, and things that people need to, to overcome to get past this. And, and these are one of the reasons why we don't have so many connected devices or where we should be because of this. And it's a, and it's a continual theme that we see sometimes in the podcast. Um, but I, I think recognition and understanding it is obviously the first part, and then it's trying to resolve it. And that's a nice link on to my next question, actually. So you and Wireless Logic as a business have been involved in some really pioneering use cases lots of different sectors and solutions 
I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the some of the great things that your business has done and some of the use cases, if we could. Sure. I mean, I think you know, I mean, our SIM connectivity platform, SimPro, which you know it, is basically the DNA of wireless logic. It's it's if you like the heart of our offering. Um, you know, provides complete control for you know customers' IoT assets, irrespective of you know bearer service, irrespective of network. You know. It basically is one pane of glass, um, you know, giving the customer one window visibility uh, for management, billing, reporting, as I say, across multiple network SIM estates, um, you know, could be across the globe. And I think the range and flexibility of our commercial structures, you know, I believe is a, is a true differentiator for, for many of our customers, you know, to be able to aggregate from a billing perspective, you know, to be able to pull data you know, not only across the same operator, but across different operators, you know, having mm. contracts, if you want them for longevity of assets that are going to be out in the field for a long time to having the flexibility of, if you like, pay as you go or 30 day type contracts with top up and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think one of the things I'll probably mention it a few times, you know, to us, it's all about choice, you know, it's choice of different networks, because, you know, different commercials, different coverage, all that type of stuff. There is no, in my belief, one size fits all in the IoT space. You know, choice, flexibility um, is key and, and, and kind of underlines sort of the product offering that we give out to the market. So, you know, I've talked about we work, you know, very consultatively with our customers, both in the embedded now and, you know, we've been doing the aftermarket, as I say, for the last 14 or so years. You know, to be able to select, you know, networks, solutions, commercial structures, you know, that is optimal, um, you know, for the particular user case. And, you know, when you consider that, you know, well over three quarters of our subscribers across our base, you know, so that's whatever it is, three quarters of eight and a half million subscribers, you know, they are using across their estate of assets uh, multiple network operators. They're not using one or two, they're using multiple network operators. So I think, you know, our network agnostic positioning, you know, having local profiles, you know, through partnerships with, I think it's about 45, if not more operators around the, around the uh, globe. And as I say, I do think, you know, on unrivaled commercial scale because of our size now, you know, continue to be, if you like, critical differentiating factors to our customers. I think the strength if you like, of our M&O relationships puts us in a very strong position to secure, as I say, the widest coverage. You know, we have access to key local EUICC profiles going back to having local profiles because of the permanent roaming type issues. Local EUICC profiles, I think, are important. You know, access to 5G services as, the, as they are made available to, to uh, providers like ourselves. And I think, you know, you might have seen in the news relatively recently our agreement with EE in the UK, which we signed, I think, you know, towards the end of last year. You know, that that is pretty unique in the respect that, you know, we can we can do terabytes on a EUICC SIM, et cetera, you know, with the potential for a backup onto another profile in the event of, you know, a network or mass site going down or whatever. You know, that kind of insurance policy is 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 very, very important to our customers. Um and as I say, I think, you know, as I alluded to, I think our scale enables us to offer, you know, highly competitive commercials. Uh, but importantly, but importantly, it's backed up with the necessary SLAs and support. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked about the aftermarket. We've talked about sort of the OEM, the line of fit. I think, you know, now having, you know, our own, if you like, built for IoT full stack network solution. Um, you know, it does enable us to deliver enterprise level connectivity, control, security. And I think, you know, as the IoT connectivity market moves towards, if you like, digitization. So the physical cards that have been in the, very much in the aftermarket being replaced by embedded or integrated SIM technology. You know, I think wireless logic is, is very well positioned to become, if you like, the orchestration point for the management of, you know, in-life connectivity and, and, and optimizing profiles. And, yeah. and, you know, also, Tom, I mean, one of the things also, I've, you know, I've mentioned it before, but we shouldn't forget or underestimate, you know, the requirement for good SLAs and 24-7 support. 
you know, as I say, a lot of IoT data is mission critical. It's not nice to have. It's, you know, vitally important information for companies to be able to operate. And therefore, sure, good commercials for customers are important. But so is the need for that data to be submitted reliably, securely, you know, with the appropriate SLAs. Um, and I think for us delivering, if you like, high quality local language 24-7 where required in country, you know, does remain a critical, um, you know, capability that I believe differentiates wireless logic, you know, from some of our competitors, not all, but some. Um, and I think our presence now, you know, in multiple geographies, um, you know, and the security and the network monitoring capabilities um, that we give to our customers, you know, does give them the confidence that any issues can be identified and, of course, resolved, importantly, very, very quickly. Um, and this is, you know, really, really important when you consider some of our customers, you know, in markets such as, I don't know, food delivery, you know, where connectivity issues have a direct revenue impact for them. And, you know, when you take Lone Worker, you know, we provide, you know, some of the police for domestic violence and stuff, you know, and that is where connectivity is mission critical. Or even, even, you know, dare I say it, you know, could be the difference between life and death. So that reliability, those SLAs, that security of data, all those kind of things, as I say, it's, it's, it's not just, oh, here's a bit of airtime. You know, there's a lot more than that in terms of where we sit, um, you know, within the value chain. And I think also, you know, one of the things I'll also add is that, you know, for some very large customers, you know, who maybe have their own existing, you know, direct M&O agreements. And, you know, that's that's not hide it. Some of them do, you know, because they've got thousands and thousands of phone subscriptions on the back of iPhones or Samsung's or whatever it is, you know, car manufacturers in particular. So they've got their existing, you know, multiple probably direct M&O agreements. But what they want to do it's not necessarily use our connectivity services, but what they want to do is use our Simpro platform to manage all those different MO agreements. So that's where we provide our platform, if you like, purely as a service, you know, white labeled in, in many cases. Um, but we're not providing the, if you like, the data airtime connectivity. And this licensing model allows us to, if you like, power, you know, other brands, you know, with our with our service capabilities, offer allowing, if you like, them to be able to offer, you know, a broader solution um, out to their customers and maybe reaching segments that maybe would be difficult to reach through their own direct channels. Um, you know, we do have yeah. actually, you know, just as an example, a major enterprise customer in Germany and actually in the transport sector, uh, which is actively using, you know, our PaaS offering. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think, Finally, how we address some of our customer challenges, you know, we've talked previously about the challenges of data security management and IoT deployment, you know, and, and how we address those, you know, we offer obviously offer private APN, a range of VPN services to route data securely and reliably. You know, we also offer other services that, if you like, further mitigate risk um, and loss to our customers through features like RMEI locking, whitelisting, capping you know, bespoke Java applet development for Sims, et cetera. Um, and, you know, don't forget, our data management is all ISO accredited, um, which also, you know, enhances, I believe, you know, our proposition fairly significantly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I You know, just to touch on a few things there, the, you know, and, there, and there's, there's, you know, there's a lot, right? I think in terms of the, 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 the provenance of that data, you, you said this earlier in the show, you know, this isn't social media, this is critical data and, and the SLA for keeping that, keeping that up, support, 24-7 support, ensuring uh, that it remains is, is so, so important and, and, and should never be uh, overlooked. And I think that's, that's fantastic and, and testament to the business, right? You know, three PE rounds, 12 acquisitions, eight eight million subs or was it eight and a half million subs you know it's uh that's a lot you know there's a there's a lot of use cases here there's a lot of understanding and there's um a, you know a hell of a lot of data to go on as well i'd like to talk a little bit about if i could about smart cities um so 
obviously, I know that the business is involved within smart cities. What sort of applications and use cases are you seeing proliferate at the moment within within the smart city movement? Yeah, I, I also just realized, Tom, I probably didn't answer as much in terms of some of the user cases where you were talking about in terms of some of the challenges. I mean, just before we move on to smart cities, if I may, sure. I do think actually Absolutely. some of the user case studies, right, really bring it to life in many respects. And, you know, maybe, you know, in the, in the, hopefully at the end of a pandemic, but, you know, I'll start, if you like, with a COVID specific case study. Um, because I think that's pretty interesting. You know, when I talk about opportunities, you know, when when the original lockdown on March, whenever it was, 17th or 23rd in 2020 happened, you know, I think all of us had our heads in our hands thinking, oh, God, what the hell is going to happen? And I think, you know, after the initial hiatus of, you know, four, six weeks where people were sort of, you know, then I think, you know, what was very interesting to us was actually a lot of the new opportunities that, you know, came out of, you know, the pandemic. I mean, you know, for instance, we've been working with Hadrian, which is one of our solution providers, you know, for in-store occupancy management, you know, so the monitoring of people, you know, in and out of supermarkets, petrol stations to ensure social distancing. You know, that would probably never have happened before COVID. You know, we've also done time attendance in Nightingale hospitals. You know, that was a relatively short-lived application, to be fair. But even so, we wouldn't have seen that. You know, other user case studies, which I think, as I say, bring some of this IoT stuff to life is, you know, with SkyDrains. Yeah. You know, SkyDrains, you know, supply their customers, you know, with a full end-to-end -end solution to enable, you know, them to monitor, monitor, manage, control their drone fleets through, you know, 4G, LTE uh, connectivity. You know, Bbox actually is really interesting. You know, they provide their customers, you know, with, you could argue, a better quality of life through solar-powered energy systems that um, target hard-to-reach locations throughout Africa, uh, as well as, you know, some of the developing world. You know, for many people in these areas, the typical kind of monthly income is, you know, less than 200 bucks. And with upfront costs for things like, you know, kerosene, batteries, charging points, you know, it was only the people with with relatively high incomes like farmers who, who could afford, you know, in terms of, you know, such luxuries. Um, and and B-Box, you know, many years ago saw the need for a low cost subscription based service, you know, providing, if you like, remotely located people the opportunity to have access to energy supply. But also, you know, then they bolted on, you know, accessories such as TV, radio, LED lights, et cetera, meaning families will be able to connect to the, if you like, the modern day world. I mean, you know, that's a pretty user, um, you know, pretty cool user case study when you think about it. Mm. You know, the Environment Agency, mm. we've talked about sustainability and stuff like that. Um, you know, the Environment Agency, you know, their application is about safeguarding people and, and the environment, you know, through flood monitoring. Um, so they collect data, I think, from a, you know, five and a half thousand sites across the UK. Um, you know, and, and they have a solution that provides secure, always on communications to transmit data, you know, via obviously our resilient infrastructure with no risk of failure, you know, to central locations. Because obviously, if there's, you know, flooding that's going to happen, they need to know when and how and all that type of stuff. Um, so, you know, they need to be able to respond to rapidly changing environmental conditions, you know, and having that, if you like, consistent, uninterrupted connectivity is, 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 is paramount. And just probably just one to finish up on that, you know, in terms of use case, because I always think, you know, user case studies really bring IoT alive because people don't really, you know, there are more machines on the planet than there are people. And yet, you know, it's only single digits percentages that are actually connected so when you think in terms of the opportunities for all those other machines to be connected but brighter for instance another one of our solution providers you know they do diabetes monitoring so you know enables remote monitoring of blood sugar levels you know via their i mean app on an iphone or whatever so you know that's helping people to live normal you know and safe lives again you know that's pretty cool in in the age of you know people saying well you know i have no access to gps or anything else like that to do all this health monitoring remotely again you know that's a pretty cool user case study completely the you know and there's some some fast some fantastic ones there and i'm glad i'm glad we touched on that actually before we moved on because um remote patient monitoring in general is a is a massive topic isn't it uh you've got 
you know, um, initiatives like Constant Companion and and, and various other uh, products and services out there at the moment. And that, yeah, that's great. And it, and it touches upon what we first said about the social sustainable uh, view that this has. And, and it does bring it to life because I think, you know, one of the beauties certainly about this podcast is that we have listeners who are involved within the industry and, and people who aren't. And it's and it's really those that, that drive it home about why this is so important. And, you know, the hope is these single digit figures that aren't, uh, you know, machines that aren't that are currently connected. We can drive that up into, you know, into the teens and, and further. Right. Because it's so, so important that we have this common understanding. Um, but it, it's great. It's great. to It's great to talk about it. So so on on the note of, of smart cities, so this, this comes up quite a bit, um, certainly buildings. Um, and uh, you know our previous uh, previous podcast we recorded it was a, it was a, it was almost a shocking figure to me but they said we spend ninety percent of our time inside inside buildings and I thought crikey is it that much right <laughs> yeah. um, so the whole s- smart city smart building uh, story is a really interesting one I'd love to talk a little bit more about that if we could Oliver sure I mean I think you know it is one of the largest sort of you know connected markets you know smart city deployments you know I think they're increasingly um, you know, getting bigger across, you know, the whole globe. And I think, you know, that growth, you know, has been driven by, you know, multiple factors, you know, you know, we talk about reducing emissions, you know, creating a, a quieter, a healthier environment uh, in which we all want to live in, you know, the drive, I guess, to, to, to net zero, um, you know, increasing efficiency and in energy use and logistics, improving transport infrastructure to make city travel quick and, obviously with low emissions, um, you know, ensuring that cities are safer places to be with, you know, like it or like it, like it or not, you know, with more CCTV type cameras. Uh, and of course, you know, it supporting cus- consumer demand um, for more, you know, digital lifestyles, the immediacy, the uh, convenience, you know, the instant kind of society. Um so I think, yeah, we are very much seeing increased applications uh, that improve the safety, efficiency of city environments, um, you know, and we're seeing where we're connecting streetlights, you know, refuse bins, uh, air quality measurement devices, as I say, as well as sort of CCTV type solutions. And I think, you know, with the pandemic creating multiple challenges, as we've talked about for the health sector, you know, we're also connecting, as, a, as, as the last sort of user case study alluded to, you know, remote patient monitoring and, and independent uh, living applications. Um, you know, and these applications obviously reduce the need for hospital visits, allow people to live independently. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are huge benefits there. And I think also within sort of smart cities type stuff, you know, we're enabling user case studies such as last mile delivery, uh, smart parking, traffic management, and of course, you know, EV charging infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, where do you think this is all go- going? You know, where, what's the future of smart cities? We have, a, we have an inkling of what's happening at the moment and what's being developed. But if we were to fast forward 10 years time, what, what can we expect to see? Oh, and I think there'll be applications out there that we haven't even thought of today. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, as LP WAN networks are rolled out across the globe, I think, you know, mass IoT, um, you know, is becoming increasingly economic and, and, and cost beneficial. Um, you know, with this comes the challenge of power saving for non-mains powered devices, you know, whether it's utility meters or refuse sensors or, or, or what have you. So, you know, that's where we work quite closely with embedded partners and customers, you know, to help them sort of optimize power consumption through both, you know, product design and configuration. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, again, you know, in terms of case studies, um, you know, we see companies like Voy, um, you know, they're a micro scooter rental company. Um, You know, they're deploying into multiple cities across Europe Um, and, you know, hugely innovative. Um, you know, to meet the needs of users and city dwellers. Um, you know, so their scooters, for example, not only have geolocation capability, but, you know, are increasingly being used to measure air quality, to detect possible hazards, to improve safety. 
Um, and I think for them, when we worked with them, you know, they very much wanted to minimize the number of SKUs in their manufacturing process, because as I say, they do deploy uh, into multiple cities. Um, you know, and as such for that, I think we delivered a hybrid eSIM, multi-IMSI solution, um, you know, that, that delivered not only on those sort of current needs, but also the future proofing um, that they also required. I think, you know, other examples, and, and again, I think in terms of smart cities, you know, EV charging. I mean, you know, that again is pretty front of mind with a lot of people at the moment, obviously with petrol mm -hmm. cars obviously being uh, stopped as of what, in eight years or whatever it is, 2030. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we work with a solution provider called, you know, Plug and Go. You know, they offer a full uh, turnkey uh, solution for, if you like, slow to fast EV charging. Um you know, and this includes, you know, everything from football, uh, footfall uh, surveys, you know, obtaining grid location, planning permissions, site design layout, infrastructure installation, you know, obviously promoting the charge points, monitoring, you know, regular client reports um, in terms of site upgrades, you know, all giving, if you like, the client, um, you know, total peace of mind. So, you know, to securely connect their fleet of charging stations, we work very much with with plug and go. Uh, and I think this was actually an unsteered roaming solution, fixed IP for secure two way communications. Um, and I think, you know, we had to make the solution compliant with the um, I think it's the open charge point protocol, if I've got that right, the OCPP. Mm. Um, I think there are different variations of it, but, you know, we had yeah. to be compliant yeah. in terms of that. You know, and therefore using sort of Simpro, um, you know, they were able to monitor, manage, you know, all their subscribers through one window, multiple networks, all that type of stuff. So, again, you know, I think that's the kind of sort of user case study that we're seeing in terms of smart cities. I think MSOL is another one. Um, you know, it's very much, again, in terms of sustainability and environment, it's a very much a data focused um, air and noise pollution monitoring solution, you know, that enables businesses to drive, you know, interventions to reduce, I don't know, road traffic, uh, transport pollution, etc. And I think, you know, by deploying their monitoring equipment, cameras and vehicle tags, you know, the company's able to detect any air quality issues. They're able to monitor noise, sound spectrum, you know, and therefore, that helps them understand the causes of pollution, um, you know, within a particular vicinity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, those are just a couple of examples who of how I think, you know, IoT is enhancing our environment and maybe sort of, you know, um, how we're seeing some of the user cases within sort of smart cities kind of come to life. Yeah, yeah. And some fantastic examples. And, you know, I'm sat here in, in Bristol recording this podcast today. And I think there's probably a hundred voice scooters outside our office and it's certainly taken over here. But one of the great things that you just said that I didn't even contemplate was the fact that they may be used to measure air quality. And that's a really nice, um, that's a really nice benefit from the inclusion of micro mobility, but also EV and other um, devices that we can have in and around a city is the fact that they can double up to do other things. Yeah, um, and, and to be honest, I mean, you know, look, I really believe that cities across the globe, you know, are really embracing, you know, IoT technology or just technology in mm -hmm. general because, you know, they need to meet the challenges, the expectations of people who, who, who are living in cities but you know want a fulfilling, convenient, and secure city life. Um, and I think you know some of the commitments that were made at uh, COP twenty six. Um, you know, they will become a major motivator uh, for city planners in particular. Um, and I think, you know, therefore, we are likely to see more micro mobility and, and public transport infrastructure initiatives coming along. I think, you know, the 15 minute concept, being able to get anywhere in a city within 15 minutes, you know, I think will become an ambition for many cities. Um, I think we'll see the sort of digital lifestyles. Um, you know, and the associated immediacy and convenience, you know, my kids, for instance, you know, when they when they order something, you know, from, I don't know, 
delivery here or delivery or whatever. You know, they want it in 10 mm. minutes. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think those that kind of immediacy, the convenience, that will continue, um, you know, yes. to evolve. Yes. And I think, you know, from when you look at smart cities, from a city planning, from a management's perspective, you know, the availability of mass IoT means that everything, everything, you know, can and ultimately will be connected. So streetlights, parking spaces to waste bins, you know, and this has huge implications in my view for city councils in terms of, if you like, the efficient provision of services and, and, and the energy that they use. And, you know, not only in the UK, but I think globally, you know, with energy costs, a real global issue at the moment, you know, I think we're also likely to see the growth of distributed energy grids. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the continued demands from people who live in cities and, and city planners for an improved, if you like, quality of life, I think, you know, we'll continue to see further innovation and user case studies that maybe, as I say, you know, we haven't even thought of today. And I think, you know, as we say in some of our marketing collateral, we certainly used to, I'm not sure if we say it anymore, but it's certainly true as it was then, you know, I honestly believe, you know, the opportunities really are endless. As I say, you can be busy fools in the IoT space because, you know, if you're chasing every opportunity, you can, you know, lose your focus. And I'm a firm believer, right? You know, we fit within a certain part of the value chain and we're very good at it. And therefore, we should stick to our knitting. And um, because I say, you know, the opportunities really are endless. Yeah. What what an apt way to um, to nearly wrap up the, the the podcast here today. I think you know that is so poignant. You know, um, consolidate and double down on what you know and focus on that and get better and better at that. And certainly within the industry that we're in, it's almost limitless. You could turn and, and get involved in many many projects and many many initiatives. And um, yeah, it uh, it may not provide the result you you hoped or, or envisioned it might if you did it. So uh, absolutely. Um, Oliver, uh, we've got a new feature on the show and um, we ask our previous guests to uh, ask a question for our new guests. And the question that we have for you today is from uh, Bjorn Hansen, who is the head of IoT Division X uh, of Telia. Uh, Bjorn asked a question, how far away are we before hyperscalers, the likes of Amazon and Microsoft, start to deliver connectivity as a cloud service? And if so, what would this mean for wireless logic? And what would your uh, view be um, and, uh, if they were to end up doing this? Would you piggyback it? How, how, would, you, how would you receive that? Um, I mean, I think IoT and, you know, the ecosystem, is, it's all about partnerships, right? You know, there's modules, there's airtime, there's analytics, um, you know, a whole load of different stuff, right, in terms of what makes up a total solution. And I believe, therefore, it's all about partnerships. You know, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, we have two and a half thousand solution providers. We deal with so many different partners uh, along the value chain. And, you know, I mentioned that, you know, we integrate directly into at least 45 different network operators. And therefore, to me, you know, this would be, you know, will, will they come into this space? Probably. But I think also, like the network operators, we provide fantastic routes to market for the network operators. You know, we don't, you know, we we attack a certain part of the market that we know that we're better at and more flexible. We offer better support services, et cetera. And it's a big, big part of the market. And we let the network operators in our particular part of the value chain concentrate on, if you like, their top 500 global customers, which is fantastic, you know? So we we operate in a very, you know, uh, specific space um and i think we're pretty good at doing it and i think therefore to me you know we already partner with people like amazon um we already partner with people like microsoft so to me this would be embracing their offering within ours you take um what i said about having 45 different network operators a lot of the network mm. operators have their own platforms Mm. But with our Simpro, we're the platform of platforms. We integrate into their platform. So rather than having 45 different network agreements as a customer, you go to Wireless Logic. You have one platform, one integration, and you get all those 45 different network operators. And therefore, the partnership with people like Microsoft or Amazon, we can just piggyback on the back of that. 
fantastic and 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 that's a and that's such a lovely way to con- to conclude the episode in the sense that again within the industry you see a lot of partnerships there's other industries and where that just wouldn't happen but i think people are really spurred on here to to connect everything to connect by by the nature of what we're dealing with and work with each other in in order for that to happen yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's never going to be this utopia view, right? Of course, we're, we're in business, but equally, uh, the thought process and 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 the goodwill that there is in order to make that happen is such a great is such a great thing. And as I said, Tom, I think you know the market is growing at you know double digits, right? I mean, it's a huge market. There's a huge amount of market to go for. Huge amount of market. So, look, you know, I think there's 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 enough pie for everyone to have a little bit of a slice of. In my view. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Oliver, thank you so much for joining us here today. Honestly, it's been really, really ex- um, exciting and, and, and to, to understand more about the business. It's been great. Um, where can people find out a bit more information about Wireless Logic? I mean, we're on all the sort of social platforms. Uh, our website is wirelesslogic, uh, one word, uh, .com. Uh, and we've got all in terms of the different opcos and you know offering and everything else uh, on there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you should find us, as I say, whether it's LinkedIn or even Facebook or that type of stuff, uh, you should find us. Excellent. Oliver, thank you for coming on the show today. You're very welcome. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. As always, guys, please follow the IoT podcast online. Get involved in the conversation. I don't care if you're connected, just as long as you're connected. Until next time. Cheers.